Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hey there, plant people and gardening friends. Thank you for joining me. This is the very last show for 2022. I can't believe it. Now, you know, I like to stay busy, but oh my goodness, this year has flown by. It's been really lovely overall. I mean, lots of new gardeners and listeners finding Plow Nose, you know, um, both the show um, here as a podcast, but also um, got some new folks that are following my column in the Taylor Press and the Elegant Courier. So welcome everybody. I'm so glad you guys have found the show. So, you know, this 2022 um, for the show has been pretty amazing. And I'm really, really looking forward to what 2023 has in store for me. I know I have some ideas of what I would like to happen based on kind of what I've been working on. Um, but I think we'll just have to wait and see what actually happens. Um, but whatever, it'll be good. I just know it. And I'm really excited to see how 2023 unfolds. But right now, here we are, Christmas is here, it has snuck up on me, Christmas totally snuck up on me. Um, like I said, I like to stay busy, and, but uh, Christmas is a lot of work, but I generally enjoy it. But what I was actually more excited about was winter solstice, which is... December happened on December 21st, the first day of winter, the darkest day of the year. But from here on out, we will gradually get more and more daylight. And for those of us sensitive to these long, dark days, it's really great to know that little by little, we're going to get more light and pretty soon it'll be spring. And as far as I'm concerned, it can't come soon enough. Here in Central Texas, we finally got our first killing frost, which actually happened nearly three weeks past the average first frost. The average first frost date is November 27th for Travis and Williamson County. We, up until now, up until that first frost, we had pretty nice period of mild weather, but we had this miserable Arctic front blow through right at Christmas time, which is, in my opinion, a dumb and stupid time to get a freeze like that because you know, nobody wants it for one thing. And it's just a hassle trying to deal with everything that you need to do to winterize and then winterize in the garden on top of that, you know, getting plants moved and covering them and disconnecting hoses and 
all that business, you know, right on top of dealing with the holidays. But we all, you know, we all work hard and nobody really wants to lose plants to freezing temperatures. And I, I, I don't. Um, so, you know, I made sure I found some time because I don't want to lose my plants. And out in the vegetable garden, I especially don't want to lose my broccoli because it has just been kind of a struggle this year. Um, you know, back in September, I planted around, uh, I don't know, 12 plants or so. And half of them, or they got half eaten by the caterpillars and then completely eaten by a couple of very bad chickens who got out and found their way to my raised beds and they left nothing. They completely ate all the broccoli. So I had to get some more transplants and I planted those, um, kind of felt late compared to when I should have gotten it all in, but the plants were looking really, really great. Thanks to the mild weather that we've been having. Um, but these younger plants still hadn't put on, um, any florets, much less a nice big crown. And the temperatures dipped into the teens and the wind chill was even colder than that with that Arctic blast. So I got my broccoli covered and you know, broccoli and the other coal crops can t tolerate temperatures down to the mid twenties, but they will suffer permanent damage if they aren't protected. So I made sure that I got out there and covered them and to protect them from the cold and that wind chill. You know, the actual temperatures are one thing. The wind is another and the Arctic blast that we got, um, it's just extremely drying and dehydrating the lack of humidity in the air and the cold. It just zaps the moisture right out of the leaves and just does a number on any new growth, um, that you have coming out of your plants. And, you know, uh, broccoli aside, if you were like me and had quite a few plants that were still green and actually putting out some flowers and new growth, just expect some freeze damage. The upper portions of your plants will likely look dead and crunchy, but established perennials and Texas hardy plants like natives are likely going to be okay and they'll bounce back eventually. Um, probably not until the springtime. Just leave your plants alone until the spring. No need to remove the dead stuff. Just leave it because it's going to actually help. Um, and you know, as scraggly and as messy as they might look, it's going to help insulate your plants even more if we happen to get another stupid dumb freeze. Well, it's winter and the holidays and it's ugh, freaky cold outside. So, you know, let's take a minute and talk about what's going on inside and talk about everybody's favorite seasonal plant, poinsettias. After the Christmas tree, poinsettias are the quintessential holiday, holiday plant. They're bright and festive and they have cherry red leaves that form like 
star-shaped clusters. Poinsettias bring color and beauty into the home during these long, dark days of winter. Poinsettias are indigenous to Central America and they grow wild in Southern Mexico. According to Mexican folklore, there was a young child that wanted to bring a gift to honor baby Jesus on Christmas Eve. And, you know, being a poor peasant, the child had no money to buy a gift. So instead picked a bouquet of weeds to give the Christ child. Touched by this gesture, an angel that had witnessed this blessed the weeds and transformed them into beautiful bright red flowers. The green and red Flor de Noche Buena, flower of the holy night, was brought to the United States in oh, around 1836 by Joel Roberts Poinsett, who was the first U.S. ambassador to Mexico and was an amateur botanist. And ever since then, poinsettias have become the best-selling potted plant in the United States and Canada. Poinsettias contribute more than $250 million to the economy every single year, and they are by far the most popular Christmas plant. Poinsettias come in several colors, the most popular, obviously, is the red one. Um, white and pink are also very popular. But they also come in yellow and peach and like a combination marble color. And then there's also speckled varieties that are pretty cool. Commercial growers really only focus on a handful of varieties, but there are actually more than 100 types of poinsettias. The Aztecs called this plant Quetlachochil and cultivated it long before the European settlers arrived. They used Quetlachochil for red and purple dyes, and they also used the sap medicinally. Poinsettias are euphorbias and belong to the Spurge family, which is a super large plant family with thousands of species found throughout the world. Some spurge plants resemble cacti and succulents, and then others are much more tropical and leafy in appearance. But, you know, no matter what the difference in appearance of all these different species, all spurges have kind of um, poisonous, milky white sap in the stems and they have really unusual and unique floral structures. Now, you might have heard that poinsettias are kind of dangerous plants and you gotta be careful with them. And they are poisonous to a degree, but they're not um, lethal to humans. According to the National Poison Control Center, if Consumed, poinsettias can irritate your mouth and stomach, but the compounds in poinsettias are not fatal to humans. Still, that sap can be irritating to your skin, so if you get any on your hands, be sure to wash them. They are mildly toxic to pets, so be sure to keep your poinsettias away from your animals.
Poinsettias grow like small trees in their native tropical climates. And they're also used as landscaping shrubs and they can grow up to 10 feet tall. Here in the United States, trying to keep them planted outside in our part of the world, they really don't work out because they don't tolerate temperatures below 50 degrees. Poinsettias do thrive indoors though, and they're most comfortable when the temperature inside is like 65 to 70 degrees. To keep your poinsettias looking good throughout the holidays, keep them near a sunny window and water them whenever the surface feels dry to the touch. Poinsettias are sensitive to soil moisture more so than other houseplants, so be sure to check them often and don't overwater them and definitely don't let them sit in excess water. Remove the pretty plastic wrapping before you water them and let them sit in the sink to drain before putting the wrapper back on. The parts that turn red are actually the leaves, not the flowers. And those leaves are called bracts. The little golden buds that are in the center, those are actually the flowers. To get that nice showy color, poinsettias have to be light manipulated in order to get the flowers to set buds. And that's because they are short day plants and they actually require 15 hours of complete darkness every day. They also have, um, they also want to have some light and poinsettias need eight hours to stimulate the color change in the bracts. Most people honestly treat poinsettias as annual houseplants every year and they just go and get new ones every, every year. But it is possible to keep them alive and force the colors to change every winter. And if you're up for that challenge um, and you want to, rep, uh, to do this, you need to replicate that short day growing schedule. And you got to do it 10 weeks before the desired, I guess, bloom time. And so this means placing them in a sunny spot for eight hours a day, but then moving them to a location that is very dark, like a closet. I remember my mom trying to do this. She'd put them in the closet and take them out every day. It's definitely a commitment to recreate the conditions that will stimulate the color change. Um, you know, for, for 10 weeks, that's quite a while. Many people just prefer to let the greenhouses do all the work. So go on, treat yourself to, to lovely new ones every year and just kind of think of it like buying flower bouquets. You are listening to Plant Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you're enjoying the show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. Also, while you're out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plant Hose Facebook page. Check that out. 
head over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows and subscribe to the Plow and Hose Podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and be sure to leave a review. Okay, so one last thing about poinsettias and something was I found kind of really interesting and disturbing and I wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about it. So um, just a little background. It, it takes me about a week to put the show together, um, you know, to plan and research and write and get it all ready to record and then upload and share it. So I do spend, um, I, I spend a good amount of time researching and looking up information and just double checking and cross-referencing. So I end up spending a um, lot of time and being curious and using the internet. And while I was working on the show and getting inspired to talk about poinsettias, I went down the whole um, rabbit hole, internet rabbit hole, um, trying to learn more about the Aztecs and Quetlaxochtl, the original name for poinsettias. So I mentioned earlier that this plant was um, collected by Joel Poinsett, who was an U.S. ambassador to Mexico back when Andrew Jackson was president. And it's, it's not really clear who named this plant after him. He may have said, oh, yeah, here, here's my plant. We're going to call it poinsettia. Or if it was somebody else. Um, and I could not find out why anybody really thought it needed to be renamed in the first place. But while I was learning about the plant, I learned a whole lot about Joel Poinsett. And... For one thing, he was a very pro-slavery and very anti-indigenous people kind of guy, which is really no surprise. I mean, he worked for Andrew Jackson, and Andrew Jackson orchestrated some of the most brutal policies and horrific attacks against Native American people. And it's really no wonder that when Joel Poinsett brought this plant back to the States, that they did not call it by its original Aztec name, Quetlaxochtl. Um, and they didn't even call it by its Spanish colonial name, Nocha Buena, because that's what racist and bigoted people did. Um, when they had those beliefs, they had to Americanize it, I guess, and make it more palatable for people. Um, and that's what they did. Joel Poinsett took cuttings and plants from Mexico, brought it to the United States, and then he likely allowed it to be named after him uh, and let people believe that he discovered it. But he didn't. It's an old plant that the Aztecs cultivated. And it didn't need to be named after him. It already had a name, Quetlaxochtl. 
and it actually had another name, Nochebuena. So poinsettias have actually been culturally appropriated twice, first by the Spanish when they got to Mexico, and then again when Joel Poinsett took it and brought it to the United States. And I just think that is just a really awful thing to do, especially knowing more about Joel Poinsett. He had some pretty shitty beliefs. And another thing, he was also involved, he was right in the middle of this bizarre scandal that involved like Freemasons and secret society and try, he tried to overthrow the Mexican government. And the story is just so crazy and messed up. And it was so bad that Andrew Jackson, of all people, said, yeah, you kind of messed up, but you got to come back home. We can't let you be the ambassador of Mexico anymore. So here we are. Now we are stuck calling these beautiful plants poinsettias after this asshole. And it really sucks, but I don't know. Um, I don't really see this changing for us here in the United States or in other English-speaking countries. Uh, It really would be cool if we could just drop poinsettia and start calling them quetlachocial. But I really think the best that we can hope for is just acknowledging and sharing that this happened because poinsettias have a really interesting, they have a rich cultural ancestral history. And now that we know that we can do a much better job of acknowledging and appreciating their history. So go look it up, find out for yourself and then share it with somebody and let them know that they're not really poinsettias, and Joel Poinsett was a jerk. We had kind of an unusual fall um, where the temperatures were warmer than usual, and the trees seemed to hold on to their leaves a bit longer this year. Think, but uh, you know, thanks to this Arctic blast uh, between the stupid cold temperatures and the really insane wind gusts um really aren't many leaves on the trees um most of the deciduous trees are completely leafless and naked now the only trees that still have leaves are the ones that are considered evergreen for us here in central texas Trees like live oak, magnolia, loquats, um, also conifers like pine and cedar, and then also hollies. Holly trees grow really well for um, us here in central Texas, and they are spectacular right now. When the landscape is resting and sparse, in the winter, holly trees provide color and tons of interest when nothing else is really happening. Holly trees flower in the spring. Um, 
there are male and female trees. Male plants put out like a little small, insignificant green flower. And the female trees, they don't really, they have little tiny white flowers. And only the female trees will develop berries. In the fall, the berries start to ripen and turn red. And the berries grow in clusters and they attract all kinds of birds and also small animals. Cedar waxwings, mockingbirds, blue jays, cardinals, robins, all the birds love eating holly berries. And raccoons and possums will also eat the berries too. Now, all holly berries are poisonous. They contain a bitter compound called saponin. Saponins protect plants from pathogens and insects and fungi. But for people, eating holly berries will cause you to vomit, so don't eat them that saponin will make you really sick. And, you know, be sure if you have any kids around, remind them that just because birds can eat holly berries, it does not mean that people can. And, you know, I read one article that said adults, um, they can eat up, you know, 20 or 30 berries before it induces vomiting, but it only takes five holly berries to make children throw up. Um, and that's because of their smaller bodies. Um, just a handful of holly berries can make children very, very sick. So be sure to teach the kids in your life not to eat holly berries. So the most iconic type of holly that we are probably all familiar with is the American holly. It's the one that is depicted like on Christmas cards and um, it's the one that we think of at Christmas time and winter holidays. And I'm talking about the, the one with bright red berries and the thick, stiff, glossy leaves that are about two inches long and they have very prickly, very wicked, sharp points on the leaves. And um, they're really pretty. American hollies are very pretty, but I think they're scary and they are a nightmare if you um, try to prune them or if you even if you brush up against one, they're very scratchy. American holly is native to eastern and the southern U.S. Um, they do grow in Texas. They are acidic soil-loving plants, and they kind of struggle to grow in our part of central Texas. They just don't really do their best here um, because we have heavy clay alkaline soil. So if you're just intent on planting an American holly in your yard. If you want to grow this type of classic Christmas holly here in Central Texas, you'll have to amend your soil with a lot 
so that you can change the pH and make it more acidic so it can get established and thrive. So that will involve adding lots of compost, lots of compost, and maybe even some soil acidifiers. Um, It's a challenge to raise and maintain um, the pH um, just because our soil is so, so alkaline. But, you know, hollies are really pretty trees and, um, you know, they attract the birds and other wildlife and they're, they're interesting. So, you know, if you want one, you know, maybe instead of trying to plant the American holly, um, you know, we do have our own native hollies that grow very easily here and they don't really mind the alkaline soil so much and we have two native hollies that do well possum haw and yapon hollies both of these varieties are just as lovely as the american holly but they're nicer because they lack those aggressive angry spiny leaves possum haw and yapon hollies are often confused because they do look so similar. They both grow to be about the same size, 12 to 45 feet tall. Both have small oval leathery leaves and of course those beautiful bright red berries. Yapons, um, they're the larger of the two. They grow tall and wider than the possum haws. Both are native to our part of Texas, and they do great. They withstand our Texas summers and drought conditions. And possum haws are particularly drought tolerant once they get established. Both of these are very similar plants, but the most striking difference between the two is that possum haws are deciduous, and they drop all their leaves in the fall. Yapon hollies are evergreen and they hang on to their leaves. Um, and, and this is nice because it's like a really pretty con- contrast with the dark green leaves and the bright red berries. And it's classic and Christmassy and a, you know, a nice substitute if you don't want to plant American holly. Possum haw hollies, um, they drop their leaves, they turn yellow in the fall, and then they shed them. And when this happens, it just highlights the beautiful bare gray limbs that are just loaded with tons and tons of berry that just cover the tree. And, you know, during the year, you might not even notice a possum haw tree, Um, But once they drop the leaves, you cannot help but notice them because there is just like the leafless skeleton of a tree, but they're just covered in bright red berries. And you will definitely notice them if you're like driving by. I know that there's one on my way to work and I'm just like, oh, wow. Every time I, every time it happens, um, Possum haws need full sun to produce tons of berries. They will tolerate a little bit of shade, but if you decide that you want to add a possum haw to your yard, um, 
they will do best if they have a full sun. Yapon hollies are tough little trees too. Left in the wild, native Yapon hollies can get tall. Um, but there are some dwarf and weeping varieties that don't get nearly as large, and they are just perfect for our home landscapes. Dwarf Yapon hollies only get to be about four feet tall and, you know, not more than five feet wide. So they are nice to use as landscaping shrubs since they stay pretty compact. They do need to be pruned, but not a whole lot, like maybe once a year or less. Weeping Yapon hollies grow tall and they are more narrow looking in appearance um, thanks to their long and drapey limbs. Um, they have the same small leaves, but their branches grow long like willow trees. So their habit is very dramatic looking, especially when they are just heavy with beautiful red berries. So this holly needs a little more room. So if you decide to add a weeping yaupon to your yard, make sure you give it plenty of room and let it grow naturally. Yaupon hollies are probably one of the most interesting native plants, not only because they are attractive and they stay green and they have beautiful scarlet berries that bring all kinds of critters and birds to your yard. Yapon hollies are the only U.S. native plants that contain caffeine. There are actually three caffeinated hollies, Yapon, Yerba Mate, and Guayusha. Yapon is native to North America. Well, yerba mate and guayusha are found in South America. Yerba mate is native to Brazil, Paraguay, and Argentina, and guayusha is native to Ecuador, Peru, and Colombia. All three are rich in antioxidants and have been valued and prized by the indigenous cultures. Tea made from these leaves of these three hollies, they contain as much caffeine as green tea, and they have been used for centuries by indigenous people and definitely used for their caffeine as a stimulant. These hollies also contain theobromine, which is a stimulating alkaloid that's um, also found in cocoa. Um, theobromine is also believed to help lower blood pressure and help with asthma. Native Americans brewed yapon leaves into a tea and they used it for um, ceremonial beverages, um, but they also used it um, like an energy drink for that caffeine boost. Yapon tea um, 
was also considered a health tonic because um, it helped kind of fortify their immune systems. And, um, you know, studies show that Yapon tea contains lots of polyphenols, which help reduce inflammation. And polyphenols also play a key role in preventing chronic diseases. So lots of health benefits with Yapon tea. And you know, even though that we know all this now, um, it's not been popular here in the United States. Um, it's easily obtained source of caffeine. Um, drinking Yapon holly leaf tea, it just never took off. And um, one of the theories is is that Yapon holly's scientific name is Ilex vomitoria, which is gross. It's a terrible name. It's completely unappealing. And I could see why um, people would not really be interested in drinking it for any sort of reason, health benefits or not. Now, supposedly, Yapon's botanical name was given back in the late 1700s by the Scottish botanist who came over to the United States and he mistakenly attributed um, the ceremonial Yapon tea, that drink. Um, he attributed, you know, they had this purging ritual. And this guy totally misunderstood what he thought was the Yapon Holly tea. He thought that it was causing people to throw up, but it was actually other ingredients in the tea and some other parts of the ritual that caused the vomiting. And it's really unfortunate that he did not realize this or know this before naming it because now Yapon is stuck with this really crappy botanical name that does not induce vomiting. But anyway, it's perfectly safe to drink and it won't make you sick. Drinking the tea leaves will not make you sick. And, you know, it's actually gaining in popularity as a superfood because people now know about all the antioxidants and all the benefits of Yapon tea. But it's also extremely sustainable to grow because Yapon grows really easily here in the United States and you don't need fertilizer or pesticides. And that makes it one of the easiest organic crops to grow. And there's no carbon footprint to speak of because it grows here in the United States. We're not importing it from other countries like we do with coffee and tea. Now, if you're looking for it, you can find prepared Yapon tea blends online, or um, I've even seen it and bought it at specialty grocery stores like health food stores. Um, but it, it seems really easy to make if you have access to um, a Yapon holly. It's recommended that if you want the maximum amount of caffeine, um, it's recommended that you pick 
new growth, new leaves. And then you just toast them lightly in the oven for like 300 degrees, um, just until the leaves begin to turn brown, which is like less than 10 minutes. Once your tea leaves are toasty, um, you can crush them up and add, I don't know, like a tablespoon of your toasted leaves to, you know, two cups, 16 ounces of boiling water, and then just let it steep for a very short time, like not more than three minutes. Treat it just like green tea. You don't want to let green tea or yerba mate or um, yapon tea. You don't want to let them steep very long. Um, you know, once you let it brew for a few minutes, then you can drink it. Um, it tastes very similar to, um, I like green tea or in yerba mate. It's just kind of plain. Um, it's probably better blended with some other herbs or fruit or spices, you know, something to give it, uh, some more flavor. So there you go. If you are looking for a low key caffeine buzz, one that is organic and very sustainable, go find yourself a Yapon holly. Pick some leaves and make some tea. Well, okay. Um, friends, it's time to go. I want to take one last opportunity to thank you all for joining me um, for this show and throughout this past year. It's been a special year, and I just want to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and I will be back. Bye. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.